welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, and hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hello, hello, everyone. Coming up on today's show, I'm moving slightly slowly today, but we will get there. The Met Gala, of course. It's our favourite time of year where Jason Derulo is falling down the stairs and the celebrities are doing their very best work on the red carpet. So what did we make of the spectacle? Then, those Sydney Sweeney Glenn Powell cheating rumours just got a little more confusing. James Corden has officially said goodbye to late night television and the Aussie royal wedding that hijacked the news cycle on the weekend. First, Michelle, (laughs) how was your week? It was a good week. My recommendation, I would rate a 7 out of 10. So I want that to be on the record before I give it. You can't do that. I've had a brilliant couple of weeks on this show. (laughs) I stand by, I reckon, my last month of Rex. I reckon they were all 10 out of 10. I just want to be honest with the listeners. This is a good wreck. It's not my best. But our partnerships director, Ray, has this rule where you can't rate something 7 out of 10. <laughs> it's a 6 or an 8. It's a clutch, oh, right? It would be an 8. You've an got eight. to pick whether it falls on the 6 side or the 8 side. And I actually love that rule because it forces you to get fucking real with yourself. Yeah, it's like, is this good or is it shit? I, it's a, a 7 out of 10 is a really, really lazy rating of anything. You know what? I really shouldn't ever rate something a 7. I no, take it back. I didn't mean to shame you to start the episode. I just wanted to get a sense if this was a 6 or an 8. But it's also no man's land. When you yeah. give it a 7, you're saying it's pretty good. Is it good or is, or is it, it mediocre? Yeah, make the call. So you it's an what? 8. It's It would be a 7.5 to an 8. Yeah. <laughs> All right, just tell us what it is. It is a profile with Anna Winter in The Telegraph UK. She was interviewed by journalist Ed Cumming. The title of this profile is Anna Winter on Karl Lagerfeld, Kim Kardashian and those Bill Nye rumours. It is a great piece. I know that you have read an entire biography Correct. on Anna. I think this is the perfect midway point for people like me who care but I do not care enough to like read 400 pages. That's so fair. What did you learn or like? Well, I really liked one tangent in the piece in that Ed Cumming, the journalist, is not a fashion journalist. And Anna reached out to the Telegraph and specifically requested him to do this interview because he had recently interviewed Bill Nye. Now, we're going to get into this in the first segment. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. But I found it interesting him trying to unpack why she had picked him to write this profile. And I also just liked learning more about her and learning about the earlier days of her career and how far and deep her power runs, both in fashion and politics. Interesting. So this is sort of like the soft version of a biography. If we didn't ever take my recommendation to read the biography of Anna Winter, you're right, read this. Yeah, no, I really liked it. Fascinating. I will will still read this for sure because I will still read anything about her. My recommendations, though, I am giving... 10. I'm giving oh, them 10 out of 10. I thought you meant you're giving 10 recommendations. We're going to be here for a while. That would be on brand for Zara. <laughs> no, the first thing I want to recommend is a book I read over the last week. It's called Free Food for Millionaires. It is by Min Jin Lee, who we adore because she, of course, wrote Pachinko. One of my favourite books One of all time. One the best books of all time. Now, Min Jin Lee actually wrote Free Food for Millionaires before she wrote Pachinko. And it was the first book she ever got published. And the version that I read, it was some anniversary edition. And she had this whole essay at the start about how hard it was for the book to get published and how many years she spent trying to crack into the writing author industry. This book is really, really good. It's not a pachinko. 
I want to say. As it's not as good as it's Pachinko. It's not as good as Pachinko. Well, it would be hard to be. It would be very hard to be. That is a perfect book. <laughs> it is, but this book follows our main character, Casey Hahn, who is sort of in her early 20s in the 90s mm-hmm. and her struggle to try and work out what she wants to do with her life, her sort of really fractured relationship with her parents. And it's about her being amongst all these rich people but really struggling with her relationship with money. Ooh. I would say is the kind of neatest synopsis I can give. Min Jin Lee has the most spectacularly unique way of writing books in that you sort of feel like you get a big chunk reading about a character's life and it kind of picks up at a random point and ends at a random point. And the whole experience of reading the book is just sort of being immersed in that part of their life. And it's not like there's these great big ebbs and flows of tension and Mm. twists and turns. Does that make sense to you? No, it does. Because I remember when I was reading Pachinko, you could read five pages and it was about this one interaction. And then in a paragraph, she would paraphrase like the last hundred years of family history. She had a cadence to the way she writes that is so unique. Yes, absolutely. And I just, I adore that in a book. If you're looking for like a thriller, this is not it. If you're looking to really deep dive a character and all the sub-characters in that person's life, this will be for you. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, sorry, tangent, with Shameless Book Club, we get accused of picking books where nothing happens, but we love a character-driven novel, not a plot. I mean, plot-driven novels are great. But I believe character-driven novels more. Yes, and I, I like a balance of both in my life, but this is a really, really good book. I actually picked it up because one of our Shameless Book Club reviewers, Rach Kraske, who reads like a million books a year. <laughs> she doesn't read a million, but she reads like at least 100. This is one of the first books she's reviewed for us that she gave five stars. Mm. So that's why I picked it up. I really liked it. I think you both love it. It is a whopper, though. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. Min Jin yeah. Lee books are all massive. Yeah. They're like the length of the Bible. 100%. And yet it's a delightful experience. I don't know if it's the length of the Bible. I mean, I can't even remember how long the Bible is, but it's a really good book. The second thing I quickly want to recommend is a section of Hayley Narman's Maybe Baby newsletter from last week. It's a section on the paradox between caring about your job or not caring enough and what the perfect line is. I think a lot of the conversations we're having publicly at the moment is sort of about our relationship with work and Mm. how we don't identify as much with our careers. And it's not the kind of thing where people are really, and this is a massive generalization, but the conversation is largely how young people don't want to be chained to their desks and striving really, really hard in their career, that life is about more than that. And she writes this piece, she sort of answers a question from a, a reader about that. And I think it's a really interesting piece for us to read because she writes about how we're in this really transitional place and that perhaps maybe we've gone too far one way and that maybe it's also time to have a conversation again about how caring about things is still a good thing. Yeah. And it's like I, something I hadn't read in this whole discourse. That's But I deeply believe. I mean, I guess it's coming as a backwash to the quiet quitting trend of yes. 2022, which I never related to because I have always really loved work. So I kind of saw that happen and was like, oh, wait, I feel a bit out of the culture right now. Yeah. But she does talk about how that kind of conversation will always have its place, particularly when it comes to labor mm. and people who are overworked. I've seen many people in my life be completely overworked, mm. you know, by corporations who will take advantage of how much some people want to work that conversation is always worth it but the conversation about you know it's also okay to really deeply care about your work and that sometimes if you do have a personality where you do want to care it can be depressing to kind of work 
five days a week, eight hours a day mm. for something that you just don't care about. Mm. So I found this piece really interesting in the context of the conversations that are happening at large right now. Interesting. I will be reading that. I will put that link in our show notes. And when I said, I will. I will. I will. <laughs> do it for me. Shall we jump into the first? She loves her work. So <laughs> yeah. her work. She, she cares. No quiet quitting over here. Oh, she cares about putting those links oh, in the show guys. notes. Shall we jump into the Met Gala? Absolutely. Guys, the 2023 Met Gala was held on Monday night, New York City time. It turns out the rising cost of living has struck New York City's elite because the cost per ticket has risen this year. Last year, it was 30 grand per person. This year, 50 grand a ticket. Not bad, hey? That hurts. So much money. Of course, as we know, it's not the celebrities themselves that are paying for the tickets. It is the brands who are buying the tables and inviting Mm. the celebrities. The theme for 2023 was Karl Lagerfeld, A Line of Beauty, which is sort of a retrospective look at the German fashion designer's work. He, of course, died in 2019. He was 85 years old. He'd spent most of his life in the fashion industry had worked at Chanel for five decades. 50 years at the one company. Yeah. I mean, we just spoke about quiet quitting. You would never see that. (laughs) You would not. Imagine that long service leave as well. So many people our age are just never getting long service leave. Now, this theme we should obviously have a quick chat about was very controversial. There's been some commentary this week about whether this should have been the theme for the Met Gala and whether or not Carl is someone we should be celebrating because he's said some deeply offensive things over the years. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of this probably boils down as to whether or not you think we can or should separate the art from the artist. Like, nobody is denying Karl Lagerfeld had a monstrous influence on art, fashion and culture. As an individual, he certainly had some pretty terrible moments. For starters, he was notoriously demeaning of fat people. When models started talking about sexual assault and harassment as part of the Me Too movement, he famously retorted, if you don't want your pants pulled about, don't become a model. He sparked outrage for his comments about refugees fleeing conflict to Germany in 2017. He said some really offensive things about Islam. He had a history of randomly attacking female celebrities as well. He publicly took aim at Adele repeatedly. He also took aim at Pippa Middleton, as in Kate Middleton's sister, and Michelle Obama over the years and he was quite mean and quite cutting when he made comments about these women and it was always about their physical appearance absolutely and he never held back and then what i also found strange about Karl lagerfeld is the quotes you'll read of his where he says everything i say is a joke like don't take me seriously which feels like such an obvious cop out to such horrible sentiments that he's put out into the world now there was a loud corner of the internet that said the theme shouldn't be Karl, and i think it's a really complicated and hard conversation and and I think when I've been thinking about this over the last few weeks I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to have like a really neat soundbite about it and then I needed to sort of step away from it and think like just relax a little bit if you had the answer to whether we can separate the art from the artist this show would probably just end (laughs) do you know what I mean because (laughs) we've spent five years but this is like one of the great conversations in culture right in how to separate the art from the artist I think what's helpful context here to start is to understand how how Met Gala themes are chosen. The Costume Institute's yearly exhibit and corresponding gala theme is created by the Institute's chief curator, Andrew Bolton. Andrew Bolton told Vogue France that he looks for topics that generate conversation for his exhibits. And he sort of tries to oscillate between picking really broad concepts like 
camp mm. or focusing on individual people's careers. That exhibition theme then needs to be approved by the president of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, by the director, and then by Anna Wintour. And then that kind of informs the Met Gala theme. Yeah. So it's very easy to be like, but why does the Met Gala just have to pick Karl Lagerfeld? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that because we're talking about a museum exhibition that wants to focus on fashion work. Yeah. And the Costume Institute's job is to show the work of the people who have been, for better or worse, hugely influential on the fashion industry. And that is Karl Lagerfeld. Yeah. He has been more influential than maybe anyone in our lifetime. Yeah, for better or worse. And he's not the first designer to be focused on. They've done McQueen exhibitions. They've also done exhibitions like a joint exhibition on Mucha Prada and Elsa Schiaparelli. And yes, I think you could obviously look at this and say, okay, but those people haven't said the wealth of offensive things that Karl Lagerfeld said. And I think that's true. But the question I think is, are we allowed to look back on his work while continuing to talk about the damage that he did? And I think my answer to that is yes. Mm. I think we should talk about his impact on fashion. I don't think we can not talk about the guy that was at the helm of Chanel for 50 years and what that did to fashion for better or worse. I mean, as you say, he was notoriously fat phobic. Let's also have a conversation about what he did for body diversity in the industry, which was nothing. Yeah. You know, I think having a conversation about all of these things. And for me, I haven't been to the exhibition yet, obviously, at the Met Gala. <laughs> I would be really intrigued as to whether they focus on Karl Lagerfeld, the designer, or kind of err into the Karl Lagerfeld territory of the person. Mm. Because if they err into the territory of the person, then I think it is their responsibility to talk about the whole person. If they stick to the designer, I think it's okay. It's an interesting one because the Anna Winter profile that I mentioned before did touch on how she feels about platforming Karl Lagerfeld and she did kind of gloss over things. The only I mean, quote she this gave. seems very on brand, Anna. <laughs> well, she gave one quote and she essentially said, look, Carl was a snob, which I'm like, that doesn't really <laughs> like that really just scratches the surface. Now we can all be snobs from time to time, but it probably didn't get quite deep enough. But I agree with you. I think we can't just erase what Carl Lagerfeld did. And he did some bad things, but he did some incredible things in fashion as well. And I think it's good to talk about all of it. Like, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. But I do feel myself kind of retreating from discourse when it becomes this conversation of we can't. Yes. We can't acknowledge this man. We can't acknowledge anything that he did, good or bad. I agree with that. And it's like, I don't think the Costume Institute is going there about his politics or his opinions. But then I, I wonder what their job is in that kind of scenario. I think it's our job as public commentators to acknowledge mm. the damage and the bad stuff in amongst the good stuff too mm. and so I've sat in this place where it's like well as long as the conversation is full and it's whole about this man then I'm kind of okay with us looking at the fashion as well yeah I did find it interesting I saw a couple of viral TikToks go around saying that some notable celebrities opted out of this year's Met Gala because they didn't want to support Karl Lagerfeld <laughs> I saw this viral did you see this Annabelle what was it a viral TikTok about Selena Gomez and I think it was Blake Lively Blake Lively saying they're not going because they refuse to support this bigot and I found that really interesting because I think that's patently untrue when I did research into both women they have worked with Chanel and Selena had costumes for her performances for her tours designed by Karl Lagerfeld 
So I found it to be a very flat discourse online. I think there are many reasons why some high profile celebs didn't attend. I got to be honest. I don't think the celebrities cared. <laughs> like, I, no. I, I, I actually don't think they did. And you hear them interviewed on the red carpet. They all had glowing things. Yeah. None of them, in, no, none of them none engaged of them with there. remotely critical no. Which is why I think it's fair that people in the media do. Yeah. Because somebody has to. Yeah. It would have been nice if occasionally celebrity, you know, mentioned the elephant in the room, but they didn't. <laughs> now let's talk about the night itself because there was so much happening. We had some of the biggest celebrities in the world attend, but of course there were some notable exceptions. No Hayley Bieber or Dustin Bieber, which made me slightly sad. I like to see them on a red carpet. No Bella Hadid, which I was also sad about. That I love seeing her. No Zendaya, but she hasn't gone for the last couple of years. I'm starting <laughs> She's to lose a puppet. <laughs> She is. Blake Lively, I really wanted to see, but obviously she had said well in advance that she wasn't going. Yeah, Ariana Grande is busy filming two wicked movies at the moment over in the UK, which is why she wasn't there. We did predict earlier this year that some of the Kardashian Jenners would not get an invite to 2023's Met Gala. That proved, or at least seems to have proved correct. Chris Jenner, Chloe and Courtney were not invited after all attending last year. Yeah, so the conversations a couple of months ago were, oh my God, the Kardashians aren't invited. <laughs> and it's like, there's no world where Kendall Jenner and Kim Kardashian are not going to the Met Gala. Or Kylie, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the whole family weren't there in droves as they were last year. I loved the red carpet. I know a lot of people who commented on the roundup of dresses that we did on Instagram said that we picked the boring ones, but I thought they were like the timeless ones. We I loved them. We were obsessed with it. I was watching as the red carpet, like Aaron entire office was kind of watching the live stream we're all commenting on it as it was happening I thought it was one of the strongest Met Gala red carpets we had seen in a really long time I think we've come off the back of a couple of weaker ones yeah. after the COVID pandemic but this to me was exciting maybe it could be considered boring if you were just looking at the color scheme which was really monochrome really white and black some splashes of red but largely I thought it was superbly done yeah a hundred percent I mean we're not all going to agree. I I adored Camilla Marone's dress. Annabelle couldn't get around it. I thought it looked like she had a napkin around her neck, like a doily. But that's how I. That's the kind of clothes that I always wear. So you, now I know what pull it off. I know what you think. No, that's totally fine. I'm not at all offended. I actually thought Kendall Jenner nailed it. Yeah, I really did. I need to talk to you guys about this. So if you missed it, Kendall Jenner rocked up in a sequin black bodysuit by Marc Jacobs. She had these epic lace-up boots that were like platform and massive. Apparently she was six foot, foot seven, seven with those I mean, shoes on. Did you see the photos of her posing next to Kylie yeah. and Kim? <laughs> they like looked a, photoshopped. She looks like a different species. Yeah, she looks so <laughs> tall. She had this slick back ponytail. She was a complete standout. However, we all looked at her and were like, wow, 10 out of 10, she's knocked it out of the park. Because Kendall Jenner has this shtick about her on Twitter and on TikTok, there's this idea that Kendall Jenner never serves. Never serves, is always a flop, is never serving. I'm wondering how do celebrities actually get out of this idea that they never serve? Because I've seen it so strongly with Kendall and whenever I see her wear something that I think is beautiful or I think is a serve, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that people go, oh, she never serves. So no matter what she does, no matter what modeling pick or outfit she puts on, they go, oh, another non-serve. It's actually, you're so right. It's like a prison. Once a celebrity's put in the never serving basket, it's very hard for them to get out of it. I think Margot Robbie is in that basket at the moment too. And I find it very interesting. I loved what Margot Robbie wore. And I know a lot of people didn't because everybody feels so bored by what she wears. But I think we have to think about her in the context of the image that she's trying to put out, which is old Hollywood, Hollywood. glamour, which yeah. kind of is boring. But if she's playing that role, if she wants to be the timeless 
golden girl movie star. This is the stuff she has to wear. I loved what she wore. I thought she looked amazing. I loved her hair. I thought it's the best her hair has ever looked. I loved Giselle Bunchton. I really could get around that. I loved Leah Michelle's outfit. I loved JJ Hadid's. I actually loved a lot. Doja Cat's commitment to the cause <laughs> will never not impress me. I mean, she basically came as Carl Lagerfeld's cat Chappette and used sort of makeup and facial like prosthesis? Yeah. Is that just, the word? I don't know. I mean, she looked like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. Which is incredible. Whoever her makeup artist, that was clearly like a special effects makeup professional. Whoever did that deserves a pay rise, whatever they're on. Did such a good job. She had this incredible feline appearance. She was wearing a backlit hooded silver sequin dress by Oscar de la Renta. It was incredible. Apparently that dress took 5,000 hours to create, which is just remarkable. What about her interview with Emma Chamberlain? No, she was just meowing. Yeah, Emma would ask her a question. She'd be like, meow. (laughs) The shame was that Emma would be like, and who designed your dress? She'd be like, meow. (laughs) It's like, imagine working at Oscar de la Renta. You've spent 5,000 hours on this dress and all she'll do is meow. I wonder if Emma Chamberlain was told that she was going to meow. Because you'd be really thrown (laughs) if you didn't know that. I don't think because it took her a couple of questions to be like, oh, we're committing to this. Well, yeah, okay, <laughs> this is a bit. Let's talk about the worst dressed as harsh as it sounds. But oh. Rami Malek came dressed as Annabelle Lee. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are in the same outfit. Yeah, he did me better than I did me. Wait, that no. Makes no sense. It was like a white jumper black pants. <laughs> yes, which is why I wore to the office yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you looked identical. We put a poll up on our stories and 91% reckon you wore it better. <laughs> the who, 9 Who are the 9%? Yeah. <laughs> Show your face. Ouchie. (laughs) Another worst dress for me. Sorry to Florence Pugh. Uh, I do love her. I adore her. I know many of the listeners loved this look because we polled you all about it and you were glowing. I could not get around the massive headpiece on Florence Pugh's head. It reminded me of those spikes that you put into bike helmets (laughs) to avoid magpies. Yeah. It wasn't a vibe. Once you see that, you can't unsee it, (laughs) I think, is the point. Also, Pedro Pascal, I know a lot of our listeners love Pedro Pascal and what he wore. I wasn't sold on the bright red shorts. (laughs) I think our listeners sometimes just see the name, and maybe I'm guilty of this as well. See the name, they go, Pedro Pascal's in my past basket for 2023. I give his outfit a 10 out of 10. Well, Objectively, this outfit was bad. It's kind of the opposite of being in the prism of never serving. <laughs> the people who are at the top of the mountain of always serving. And it's like, pull them down. They're not always serving. Just because you like the person doesn't mean they always serve. But that is me. I do that with everyone. So everyone in my past basket. I mean, we also had two pregnancy reveals on the red carpet. Serena Williams and Carly Kloss. I got to say, Carly Kloss. For someone that was in my past basket for a time, <laughs> she's, she's now back in the she's in the prison of never serving. I've got to be honest, prison of never serving. Um, it, it looked better in video than it did in photos. She outfit. looked amazing, pregnant. I just didn't, I didn't understand it being on theme. I didn't understand a lot of it. We definitely need to talk about the fact. Sorry, there's so many things we need to talk about. The fact that Olivia Wilde and Vogue China editor Margaret Zhang were essentially in. The same dress. Yes. We put up a meme about this on our Instagram that you guys loved that essentially said my 2012 formal Facebook group would never have let this happen, (laughs) which is so true. I was stunned. These weren't identical dresses. The top half, though, did look identical. Olivia was in white and had like a gold, I don't know. Just think like sass and bide 2012. Sass and bide, but it did the front... A lot of listeners pointed this out, and I think they've got a point. It looked like a, sh- a glimmery gold 
menstrual pad. Yes, I think that's fair. <gasps> I actually adored what Olivia Wilde wore. I yeah. thought she looked amazing. I thought her hair and makeup was the best it's ever looked as well. I also loved the dress on Margaret Zhang. She was in black. Olivia's was a Chloe dress. What I'm struggling to glean at the moment at the time of recording, doing all this reading, is no one can quite work out or no one's reporting where Margaret's is from. No mm. one's being emphatic about it also being a Chloe dress. But they sort of, Olivia wore cuffs, Margaret didn't, and then the bottom of Margaret's dress was a, a little different. And as we said, one was white, one was black. I think most confusing for me, though, is the knowledge or I think the very... Factual rumour, I will call it, that Anna Winter signs off on every outfit being worn to the Met Gala. Which it's weird to think that because I don't think Anna Winter would have intentionally said yes to these two things that looked the same. I saw a TikTok yesterday that kind of posited the idea that Anna signs off on the A-list celebrities. She looks at all of them and signs off on what they're wearing, particularly the Met Gala ambassadors for the year. But there are like over a thousand people going to this event. She doesn't apparently tick off everyone's outfit. And if you did, you would completely forget if there was a double up. You'd be like, oh, nice dress. Like, move on. It is, I think, the first time that's ever happened. They've both been very gracious about it on Instagram, hat tipping each other, which has been very nice. (laughs) We also need to talk about the fact that Anna Winter turned up with Bill Nye, sort of announcing their relationship. (laughs) They've been friends for decades, linked since 2021. People are like, oh, they're boyfriend girlfriend partners whatever you want to call it and then the next morning his rep came out and told people they weren't dating oh what yeah oh i got all excited i know if you're confused about who bill nye is he is billy mack from love actually i thought i was an idiot being like god you millennial idiot only knowing him from love actually love actually was his breakout role I didn't know that. I know. Isn't that weird? I thought he was some like old hand at acting who had been chosen for Love Actually because he was like a UK icon. No, it was his breakout role. That was like the beginning of his Hollywood career. That's amazing. He was, of course, also nominated for an Oscar this year. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) No, no, no. But I didn't know that. That's a way better fun fact than mine. (laughs) But he's far more on people's radar. They're both 73. I thought it was her way of saying they were dating and then People Magazine have dropped this report the day after the Met Gala saying Bill Nye and Anna Winter sparked romance rumours when they walked the red carpet together at the Met Gala on Monday but a rep for Nye tells people the pair have simply been great friends for two decades. They are not in a relationship. What? The Telegraph piece that I mentioned at the beginning of this as well did strongly imply that they're together. Well, I think they both strongly implied by turning up together that they are together. Why I'm, would you come in arm in arm I don't know. if you're not together? I don't know. Anna wouldn't do that. No. This is weird. <laughs> it also, dare I say, makes Anna look a little silly. It makes Anna look... And I'm annoyed. No one can make Anna Winter look silly. Anna would not rock up with a friend. I love that I've read one profile piece and now I know it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I read one biography and I basically act like she's my mom. <laughs> yeah, I am desperately confused by this story. I'm not going to lie. One for your Safe Friday. Tell us what you think. Coming up after the break, the Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell, cheating rumours just got that bit more confusing. James Corden has officially said goodbye to late night TV and then that Kyle Sanderland's wedding. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty Zara. No. Uh, uh, oh, oh. 
Oh, oh the top no. actress with a rough and tumble <laughs> of celebrity. It was like quite aggressive. <laughs> In fairness, oh. I was way too aggressive. Wow. Right. Sorry about From that, everyone. Top. Okay. <clears throat> We're doing it again. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Well done. Zara Stickler for the Rules McDonald's. That is the best one you've ever said. <laughs> what have you got for us? Our first story, exclusive. Sydney Sweeney puts on United Front with fiancé Jonathan Devino after ditching her $150,000 engagement ring amid affair rumours with Top Gun star Glenn Powell and amid his split from girlfriend. <laughs> you can't have a mid twice in a headline. Does that make any sense? All right, let me go Daily again. Let's, let's unpack it. Sydney Sweeney puts on a United Front <laughs> with fiancé Jonathan Devino. After ditching her $150,000 engagement <laughs> ring amid affair rumours with Top Gun star Glenn Powell amid his split from girlfriend. <laughs> okay, this is the last time in this recording that we go again. We've gone again so many times already. <laughs> no, no more going. That, from the top. Start the episode again. <laughs> no, from, from the top, the headline again. All right. It doesn't make sense. Though. It doesn't like, make sense. We can unequivocally say... Zero sense is made in that. I actually think that's the least sense that they've ever made sense. We need a, <laughs> Not I that that made sense. I think we can all get around a full stop in a Daily Mail headline no. if it makes the headline make sense. No, I actually kind of like what they do. <laughs> I know that they know they're trolling. We know they're trolling. Now, let's talk about this story. Sydney Sweeney and her fiancé, Jonathan Devino, as the headline suggested, were spotted <laughs> out and about on Friday evening after rumours got pretty hot that they had split, hey? Yeah, well, you guys will remember from last week's episode we spoke about how sydney has recently been filming a rom-com here in sydney with co-star glenn powell we spoke about how glenn powell's girlfriend Gigi paris was dropping some pretty strong hints and some pretty passive aggressive instagram activity that was all pointing towards the fact that she was not happy with glenn and with sydney after our episode went live she took things up a notch because she posted a reel walking through New York with the caption, know your worth and on to the next. Amazing work. Hours later, the media confirmed that she and Glenn had split. So we were looking at all of that and we put up a, a video on our TikTok and we were kind of doing some social media stuff around this to say, okay, well, it looks like the cheating rumors are completely legit given Gigi Paris's Insta activity. Yeah, and Gigi Paris knew that we were looking at her Instagram activity. It was all over TikTok. It was starting to make the news. And I think for her to post that implies like a hat tip to be like, you yes. guys are right. Yeah. Yeah, keep looking. You guys are right. Now, naturally, focus then turned to Sydney Sweeney's relationship. Now, for context, Sydney Sweeney has been engaged to her 38-year-old partner who's a restaurant. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We just spent the last three minutes off mic trying to work out how to pronounce that word. Restaurateur. I have to say, let's just pause in this story for a second. We'll come back. <laughs> let's take it from the top. <laughs> let's go again. Anyone want the headline? Um, her 30 restaurant. I thought it was restauranter. Well, Me too. Works- I thought there was an N. Why do we, the English language makes no sense sometimes. Why would we take the word restaurant 
flip it a little bit and get rid of the N. It should be restauranteur, which is how I've always pronounced it, but it's restaurateur. Yeah, and I've only realised, I reckon, in the last six to 12 months that there's no N in that word, but I've still continued to pronounce it the way <laughs> I believe it should be pronounced. So give it one more time. How is it pronounced? Restaurateur. <laughs> that is it French. Yeah. But the word restaurant isn't French. It's completely confusing. Anyway, he's a 38-year-old restaurateur. How <laughs> <laughs> many times can I say it? And has reportedly been with Sydney since 2018. People magazine announced that Sydney Sweeney and Jonathan Devino were engaged as of March last year. In the wake of all of this, right, Jonathan Devino was papped last week leaving the house that these two share together with packed bags. Now, he could have been going on a boys' trip, but... Whatever, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. He was carrying a dog bed. He was carrying a dog bed, which I think is important. And <laughs> just to imply that he was like, like, you don't take the dog uh, bed. What is that? Like, I'm taking the dog. <laughs> Dumbass. Dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it looked very much like he was taking key important items. A day after that, she was papped without her engagement ring. Mm. So I was like, oh, for sure. Smoky goss. They're done. Yeah. And then they were out on a date a day after that. But this is where I get confused. So they step out together. They're not hand in hand. She's like walking ahead of him, looking incredibly hot, by the way, in like a great leather ensemble. He's walking behind her. So like they're together, but it wasn't the unified show of love by like kissing each other or holding hands or touching each other. But they're very private. They've never done that. But why would she not wear her engagement Apparently ring? she hasn't for a while. It's worth 150 grand. Can I have it? Is that why you don't wear it? I actually would love to hear from anyone who doesn't wear their... I'm not wearing mine right now. <laughs> That's what they say when they break up. Oh, my God. We should get some paparazzi out to be like, mine is getting ending her engagement. No, but I would love to know if somebody just doesn't wear their ring. Why? Mm. Because she seems to have not for a little bit, but I can't imagine. I mean, I agree with you. It seems to hint to break up, but why have they set up pap shots if they weren't intending to stay together? My theory is they are rocky but they're still together, like, as of recording this. They wanted to step out together to give themselves some actual space to figure it out. By stepping out, everyone backs off a little bit and they can actually work it out between them. Yeah, well, I think this kills the story, if I'm honest. I think the story's done. I don't think we're talking about this again for another six to 12 months at all Mm. or when the movie comes out, unless Sydney and Jonathan do break up in the next few months. I think they will, to be honest. Let's wait and see our second story. Jocks on Frillo, celebrated chef and judge on MasterChef Australia, dies aged 46. That is from ABC. Some really, really tragic news out of the Australian TV industry this week. Yeah, beloved TV personality and chef Jocks on Frillo has passed away at the age of 46. This was announced on Monday afternoon. A statement posted to MasterChef's social media accounts read, Network 10 and Endemol Shine Australia are deeply shocked and saddened at the sudden loss of Jocks on Frillo, a beloved member of the MasterChef family. It later went on, Jocks' charisma, wicked sense of humour, generosity, passion and love for food and his family cannot be measured. He will be greatly missed. Now, Jock's family released a statement of their own that read, with completely shattered hearts and without knowing how we can possibly move through life without him, we are devastated to share that Jock passed away yesterday. So many words can describe him, so many stories can be told, but at this time we are too overwhelmed to put them into words. They also ask for privacy as they find a way to navigate through this and find space on the other side to celebrate our irreplaceable husband, 
father, brother, son and friend. So desperately sad. Victoria Police told ABC that officers were called to do a welfare check at an address in Carlton early on Monday morning. That is when they found him. Police have not revealed a cause of death and said there were no suspicious circumstances. This all happened on the eve of season 15 of MasterChef premiering. Channel 10 have announced that the season will not be released this week as planned. They understandably are yet to announce what the plan is. They've kind of shuffled things around for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I feel for literally everyone so in this many scenario. People, yeah. His family, his colleagues, anyone who worked at MasterChef, anyone who's still having to kind of work through this and work out what to do with the season. It's just, it's all so deeply tragic. I don't know if there's any other way to describe it. Jock is survived by his wife, Lauren, and his four kids. I think there will definitely be a time to talk more about him, his legacy, his work, what people loved so much about him, his electric persona on the TV. But for now, the family have asked for privacy. I think a lot of news outlets aren't giving them that or the people in his orbit that, but I think we'll just leave it there for now and see what happens. Our third story, James Corden bids farewell to the Late Late Show with tears, Harry Styles and a song that is from People magazine. Yeah, guys, after eight years on air, the Late Late Show with James Corden has officially come to an end. According to reports, he turned down a $50 million multi-year contract to keep doing the show. He turned that down so he can actually move to London with his wife and kids and set up permanently there. He said in a couple of interviews that he wants to be close to his parents in particular and be close to one school where his kids can go without flip-flopping every six months. Here's a snippet of him talking about that decision on the Drew Barrymore show. So really the choice was to go, well, if I want to do this other work, that cannot be at the expense of our children, our family. And that is really all it comes down to. I will be a mess on that last show. I will cry my eyes out, but I will know in my core that the best thing for me and the best thing for us as a family is to put down some roots in London. And it feels absolutely right in every single way. I've got to say, I find that super likeable. So you love James Corden. Uh, <laughs> I will say that people are layered. And people I find layered this, and- this layer to be likeable. Yeah. I think the layers of, of the James Corden public persona are interesting, if not slightly alarming, that sometimes <laughs> he can be really deeply lovable mm. and other times kind of be an ass. Yeah. But I'm going to park that for now because he did his last show and that should be talked about. Now, as you said, he did have that massive offer on the table for the next few years. It's an interesting one because ratings for the Late Late Show had been drastically down recently. His final season drew 806,000 viewers per episode, about a 36% drop on previous seasons. I would love to know if this is emblematic of a really large drop in late night TV watching or what the trend is. But as we know, a lot of people are moving to streaming. Yeah, 806,000 though for an American late night show did surprise me. That did seem lower than what I would have thought. I remember listening to a really good episode of, I think it was Desert Island Discs with James Corden, but don't quote me on that. And he spoke about how for him, a lot of the value of his show is actually in their social media presence. Mm. I mean, 
I've never seen an episode. I've never seen anything of that show. And yet how much presence do they have online? It's carpool karaoke. Carpool karaoke and those kind of segments that go viral. And he was like, I'm under no illusion that that's the value of my show considering we underperform compared to everybody else. Yeah. It's interesting. The final show opened with quite a good bit. I did watch the final show just for research. It opened with a bit where James actually got locked in the stairwell of the production studio and he had to be saved by a rather unhelpful Harry Styles and Will Ferrell. He also, during the, I think it was the first segment of the actual show, he had a video message from American President Joe Biden. So he's got some what a influential fans and friends. Yeah, another sketch showed him being woken up by late night icons, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, Stephen Colbert and David Letterman. I thought this sketch was amazing. Yeah. And props to all of those men for being involved. Because firstly, I was like, and maybe this speaks to how my mind works i was like how did the scheduling work like yeah. how were all of these men able to kind of put time away at the same time david letterman was <laughs> not there i actually think this but i kind of loved it i think the sketch could have been done without david letterman he was clearly not on set on the same day as the I rest know. of the men he was just sitting in a random like the camera would pan and there's just David Letterman sitting in a chair, which I wasn't even convinced was in the same room. No, no, he definitely wasn't there. I thought it was a good sign for James <laughs> Corden, again, as we're flip-flopping through this, that this many people in his industry wanted to be involved mm. in his last episode. I think mm. it makes them all look really great. Yeah. One thing we need to touch on in the context of all of this though, Mish, is James Corden might have dodged a bit of a bullet by leaving when he did. Yeah. So his final show was just a few days ago. And overnight, we found out that thousands of screenwriters have gone on strike after six weeks of negotiations for better working contracts and conditions came to a stalemate. So James Corden has just exited late night TV basically in the same week that every other late night TV show is going to be dealing with one of its biggest hurdles. So The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Late Night with Seth Meyers and The Daily Show are all shutting down immediately with each network running reruns for the foreseeable future because the writers have walked off the job. They're not working. Yeah, and this will likely impact not just late night television or comedy, but could impact your favourite scripted TV series. Mm. Now, the last writer's strike was in November 2007 and lasted over 100 days. Mm. I have seen some really interesting commenting on Twitter where some people are like, some of you were too young to remember the 2007 writer's strike and it shows. I don't remember it at all. You don't? No. But the stuff I've been reading about now what, that SNL was shut down for three months, everybody was laid off, that people like David Letterman were having to dip into their own pockets to pay the writers that weren't striking to keep their shows alive. This sounds like a total nightmare for the TV industry and so they probably should just pay their writers. Yeah, see, I only remember this. I was 13 when this happened. I was a massive fan of How I Met Your Mother and we realised, I don't think I knew it at the time, might have been the year later, season four or five of How I Met Your Mother was so weak compared to the earlier seasons. And I remember my whole family sitting around being like, why is this terrible? Like, this is not funny. The show makes no sense. There's no, like, through line between the episodes. We then researched it and found out it was because all the writers had walked off and they had to kind of stitch together this mediocre, shitty season. And if you look at a lot of the scripted dramas from that 2007-2008 era... They're not very good because the writers weren't working. It's really interesting. Amanda Seyfried was asked about this on the red carpet at the Met Gala. Did you guys see yes, this? Yes, yeah. And the top comment before I'd watched it was, I got really nervous with the first half of her response because <laughs> she, she was asked about it and she sort of said, 
I just don't really get it. And then she went on to say, (laughs) so everyone was like, oh God. And then she went on to say, you know, streaming's changed a lot for a lot of people. Just pay the people that do the work properly. Yeah, Like there's still a lot of money in this industry, just pay them. Now I would be surprised if the industry was brought to its knees in the same way that it did in 2007, as if you're not learning a lesson, but Mm. I know there's a lot of ego in this industry. So we'll see. Yeah. Our fourth story, Kyle Sandilands marries Tegan Kinniston in glamorous Sydney ceremony. That's from news.com. Yeah. The country's biggest radio shock jock has married his partner of three years. They married over the weekend in Darling Point in what the media dubbed, not just the Aussie royal wedding, but the Aussie celebrity wedding of, like, I think someone said the decade. Which is oh, I think that might be a bit much. <laughs> He's big. I think I probably underestimated how big this wedding and the coverage about it would be. I mean, for starters, the budget was rumoured to exceed a million dollars. The guest list was also pretty high powered. You had Jackie O, obviously, his radio co-host, but also Guy Sebastian, Carl Stefanovic, Bo Ryan, and the literal Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, as well as the New South Wales Premier, Chris Minns. Yeah, Insane. The latter two, Albo and Chris Minns, drew criticism for their attendance, A, for attending the wedding in the first place when Carl Sanderlands has been a pretty controversial character on Australian radio for so many years, but also after it was revealed who was in his bridal party. Mm. Now, Simon Main was the best man. He was jailed in Italy in the year 2000 for his role in attempting to shift over 300,000 ecstasy pills. He's also been connected with running some sort of brothel. Another of Kyle's groomsmen was notorious King's Cross nightclub identity John Ibrahim, who New South Wales police have accused of being involved with organised crime, though he has never been convicted of anything, and I think that's really important to know. Yeah, in popular culture, listeners might know that name, John Ibrahim, from Underbelly, The Golden Mile. That's how I kind of came across him and kind of learnt about his story. Now, people were really angry that the Prime Minister was there. We're not a politics show, but this is a celebrity story. I personally don't really care that he went along. If anything, if I'm being really pragmatic, removing all emotion from this, I think it's smart for the Prime Minister to be at Carl Sanderland's wedding, given Carl Sanderland is very publicly a conservative voter, has in every other election apart from Elbows, I think last year, voted for the Liberal Party. I think it's smart. It's a good play with the people that Carl Sanderland's reaches for Anthony Albanese to be seen at his wedding. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. It's like I was definitely very surprised when I saw it. I was like, wait, what? Why is he His excuse was also, I like weddings, so I'm going to the wedding. I mean, I don't (laughs) mind that excuse. I think it would depend on a few things like how tight they are, I guess. He also said he's an Australian success story. I should be there. I'm not really passionate about it one way or the other. I think for me it was a funky look. Mm. But I also think if we start going down a rabbit hole of saying that it's dangerous to be in the same room with two people who what don't have the same values. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I would understand it more if Elbow was like out for dinner with them because he's yeah. actively choosing to socialise. Yeah. But if it's like socialising by proxy, I don't know if we can be talking about that as much. Yeah, I can't I say know. that everyone I've ever been to a we- like well, at the I same wedding at yeah. that I agree with. No, yeah. for sure. And I, I know mean, he's the Prime Minister. He is the Prime Minister, so it is different. Like we're not the prime minister yeah uh i mean we're not no we're not (laughs) he probably i mean i'm kind of going around in circles here he probably could have not gone but i don't really i'm not that phased that he did as long as it's not affecting his ability to run the country (laughs) or enforce policy i don't really care yeah also i don't think he's actually friends with carl sanderland i think this is good for both of them i think it's It's the pm needs to appeal to conservative voters Kyle wants to be able to get on radio and say the fucking prime minister went to his wedding. So I think it was pragmatic on both sides. Annabelle, what do you think? 
I don't know. I think I just don't really care all that much. Well, <laughs> I, that's kind of where I'm in. I'm just I like, care. I think it's funny though that Albo said, I just went because I love weddings. Does that mean if we invited Albo to our wedding, <laughs> he would come because he loves weddings? Well, are you having a wedding? <laughs> at, three oh, of I am. Are you? Are? Well, I hope you haven't forgotten. Um, yeah, I can try and get in touch. <laughs> Is anyone from the Labour Party listening? Could Any we staff? Offer, could we offer Anthony Albanese anything? I our like, audience. What about a wedding message? I'd take a wedding message. <laughs> I'll give him some propaganda. This is not this, him these weddings are for a long time, by the way. But even still, we've got time to work on it. And if anyone is, as we say, listening, get in touch. <laughs> now, Carl Sanderland on this wedding, by the way, said he spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on flowers. Oh, I read that. That is, there were so many flowers. So I think that makes sense. He was clever about this from a PR perspective too, guys. Media outlets and photographers were allowed into the wedding itself. There was like wall-to-wall coverage because there was so much content being given to media companies. Paparazzi company Matrix Pictures got up-close photos inside the wedding with like, they had a photo of Jackie O beaming to the paparazzo. So like a literal paparazzo looked like he was just walking around. The Daily Telegraph got access to the entire reception. They wrote up an entire article word for word with Kyle's speech. Someone at Kiss FM, I believe, was essentially hired to live post everything. I saw that all over my TikTok as it was happening. Sharing photos of the menu, sharing photos of the setup. It was almost Sophia Richie Grange-esque. Oh, she didn't do this. <laughs> it wasn't that. But it is, it is smart from him. Like, I'll give him that, yeah. you know, to get as much publicity for the wedding as he did. It's obviously well thought out. Our fifth and final story. Megan Trainer says her husband's penis is so big she often can't walk after sex. That is from Cosmo. And boy, is this podcast episode that she did making headlines. (laughs) Yeah. So she did an interview with Trisha Paytas on her show, right? So this is on Megan Trainor's podcast. She interviews Trisha Paytas. And one of the quotes that everyone is repurposing is, I thought that every woman walking around was always in pain during and after sex. She described this like stinging, burning sensation that she often gets. She said, I was like, Doc, are you telling me that I could have sex and not feel a single bit of pain? I couldn't have sex at all in the first pregnancy. She also said, "My I got the more explicit quotes. <clears throat> my husband's a big boy. My pussy's broken, though my pussy is tiny. To the point where I'm like, is it all in? Sorry. And he is like, just the tip. And I'm like, oh. I can't do any more. How do I fix that? Should I stretch? For a year, I was like, do not look at me. Do not touch me. It took me so long to even consider having sex with him. She went on, I wish I could make Daryl smaller. It's painful, dude. When I was making this baby, I had to ice myself after. And we're not crazy. I'm a starfish. I'm like, get it done the aftermath sucks i'm like i have to work today and i can't walk yep there's a lot going on a lot going on here some of those quotes more explicit than others now there's been quite a bit of chatter mish about how the internet has responded to this interview the first wave of press that i think i saw and that i think came out about this were all pulling out the quotes about daryl's penis size and talking about the fact that she called her pussy tiny and that she said something like... She said, my pussy's broken, my pussy is tiny. Sorry. Well, we didn't need to go from the top. <laughs> Not again. Not again. <laughs> from anyway. the top. So everyone pulled those quotes out and used it quite salaciously, right? Because they are very, I would say, emotive, explicit quotes. Emotive. 
What <laughs> do you I'm sorry. That's the most generous description. I'm trying. My pussy's broken. My pussy is tiny. Being described as emotive. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's graphic. It's graphic. <laughs> I should have said graphic. It's poetry. It's, <laughs> giving, it's giving emotion. <laughs> it's like, I understand for starters. I understand for starters why it was pulled out, right? Yeah. For sure. And then after that wave of press, there was a whole other wave of press that were like, hang on, she's actually talking about vaginismus here. She's talking about painful sex. Mm. Can we not take this really, really seriously? And that line of argument was strong. Like yeah. you and I read some opinion pieces, which was essentially they were how out. dare the media not acknowledge that this woman was advocating for awareness of vaginismus. Yes. And everyone's like, it's so nasty of the media to kind of misrepresent what she was saying. And I am in so many minds about this. I mean, I have vaginismus. So I'm like, I think I have pretty valid opinion if this skin conversation. In the game. Yeah. yeah. And so I watched it on very, very intrigued. And I think my perspective with it all is that I don't think as a celebrity or as a public figure, you can be as open or as emotive <laughs> <laughs> about sex and her relationship and her the penis size of her partner and not expect that to get picked up. I really don't believe you can be that inflammatory and open deliberately and not expect people are going to talk about it, right? Mm. That said, I do think the early commentary was slightly reductive. I mean, it's not often we have women in the public eye talking about vaginismus, so it probably would have been better for it to be widely acknowledged. And so I didn't really see any piece, though, hit the mood in the way that I think it should. She clearly didn't want to be some advocate for a medical condition. She didn't know what it was called. She called it something wrong. She called it like vaginy or something. Yeah, before a producer came in and said, no, you have vaginismus. And she's like, oh, yeah, sorry, that's what it's called. And so it's like, for me, I wonder if we're deeping this a little bit too much and trying to find meaning where it doesn't need to be found. The earnestness around this story of people saying, can we have serious conversations about this feel a little misplaced because I'm like I don't know if she wants that the tone of the conversation was not really about that she was saying that it was painful but it wasn't like she wanted from my perspective listening anyway to spark all these think pieces about how one in x amount of people have vaginismus and we should be taking it seriously well it's kind of ironic because I see two sides of the media the tabloid media and the progressive hot take media as doing the same thing but kind of pointing the finger at each other the tabloid media is taking the the cheaper angle of going like massive dick size tiny pussy quote whatever they're going oh that's outlandish people will click the progressive hot take media is also having a take that isn't really there by going oh this is advocacy we need to talk about the 16 and 100 women who have vaginismus and this is outrageous and how dare the media do this they're both doing the same things they just want clicks but they're both actually not reporting the story how it happened when you go back and listen to this podcast these women are gleeful when they talk about this they are giggling they're having the best time and they're just talking about their own individual experiences having sex they're laughing they're talking they are having that classic two girls over a wine two women over a wine conversation it is not serious it is the most shallow and i say that in a in a positive way this was just like an entertaining conversation the most shallow not deep conversation about sex that you can listen to and so i find it annoying particularly from the hot take media who are trying to make this something it's not. She didn't even know that it was called vaginismus or didn't want to say that on the podcast or didn't think to say that. 
to kind of characterize this conversation as something that was manipulated by the tabloid media is just incorrect. I think both of them are incorrect. And I, I have to say, I can understand why young female journos will jump on this and say, mm. oh, but why aren't we talking about vaginismus? Because at this point, there are so few conversations about it that people kind of will take any in, even if it is putting words in someone's mouth. And I think that's a bigger conversation to be had about how we need ins like this to even have a conversation about it, because there are no public figures that talk about it. Mm. There is no one that will even mention it. Mm. So the minute that someone slightly does in an offhand way, we're trying to create something deeper about it. And I do think that's a much bigger conversation about how few people talk about it. And I think it's a much better indication of how terrible the conversation about it still is. Yeah. Do you think Megan Trainer? should have spoken about this no. in a different way or is it because uh, no. I think it's entirely her right to speak about she her condition talk in whatever about way her she condition wants. and her relationship with sex in any way that she wants she was flippant about it which is her prerogative yeah she is allowed to be flippant about her own experience yeah. and the way that she experiences it I can understand why some people might feel emotional about that if it's their experience and they want the conversations to be more serious about it yeah but that's not the reality of how these things happen yeah so I think it's interesting that there's been so much meaning derided from this one conversation when I just don't think there's that much meaning to be be found one more quick note before we finish up today we of course have to note that in this conversation it wasn't the only headline that Megan Trainer made she also said fuck teachers dude in a conversation (laughs) about homeschooling her kids now she had to apologize I think twice about this I love when people have to uh, apologize multiple times she said on TikTok teachers of TikTok and teachers of the world I recently said fuck teachers on the podcast and it's not how I feel I was fired up because we were talking about how sending your kid to school here in America is horrific. She was saying she was getting fired up about the school system, school shootings, and got angry at specific teachers who bullied her. That doesn't really uh, work. Uh, that doesn't really make sense. In the context of the conversation, they were sort of talking about school sh- shootings and being like, fuck sending my kids to school. But then she also said, fuck teachers. It feels like an irrelevant. Like yeah, they're two they, they, they don't. I completely agree. They're not the same thing. No. Anyway, quite the pod recording for Megan Trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I hadn't heard of her podcast working on it before this, and now I've listened to it. Good for downloads. Great for downloads. <laughs> Guys, that is all we've got time for. We've had to cover so much today. Yeah, thank you for sticking with us. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? Let's take it from the top. <laughs> We're going again. We're going again, baby. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shameless. Bye. <laughs> Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.